So great to hear everyone lifting their voices this morning. Uh, one of the perks of having a nine o'clock service and an 11 o'clock service when you're teaching at both of them is that after the nine o'clock uh, worship set before you come up to teach, you can have already appropriately cried uh, because I was, a, I was a mess. I need to start coming to practice on Wednesday night or something to know what's coming. Um, it has been a really, uh, it's, it's been an interesting week in some ways. It's already been alluded to. We do have some families who are uh, part of our midst and have been here at Fellowship for a really long time. And they've had loved ones who are walking with Jesus on their first Sunday. I know it's not Sunday, but there, but they're hanging out. And I think that's amazing. And so they're walking through that and processing that. And as a staff team, we had multiple people on our staff team uh, and family have babies this week. And so it's just like a lot of different emotions hitting you. And uh, you write up a whole intro to preach and then you just put an X through a bunch of it and then you say this. Good morning, Fellowship Greenville. It is great to worship with you. Uh, whether you're here in Auditorium One or you're over in uh, Auditorium Two, um, or maybe you're traveling uh, because of summer vacation and uh, you're tuning in online, welcome to our, to our weekend worship services. I've been traveling a little bit over the past couple of weeks. I took a family vacation uh, with my family down to Charleston, got back and went straight to Pennsylvania uh, where I spoke uh, two weeks ago at High Point Baptist Chapel. Uh, followed right after by a week of camp in Pennsylvania with about 300 teenagers. And uh, I got to be honest with you, that's actually always an encouraging time for me to be around teenagers who are growing in their relationship with Jesus, some who are making decisions to follow Jesus with their life. It's the best. I actually leave tomorrow for a Woodlands camp uh, down in Georgia. And so if you uh, speak there for a week, so if you think of us, uh, pray for me, the old voice will hold up and that the camp crud as I call it, will uh, stay at bay and that students fall in love with Jesus. If you are newer with us at uh, Fellowship, we're in the middle of a summer sermon series called Church Matters. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can listen to them online. Uh, you go to YouTube, Spotify, there's other platforms, but being gone for a couple of Sundays, I've been able to utilize these options to listen in. On vacation, I tuned in from Charleston and watched on YouTube at, at, to hear Charlie's message uh, on church leadership. And then through Spotify, I was able to hear Dallas talk about the invitation to all of us to serve here in our local church with no expectation of return. And then last week, I was able to attend our 5 p.m. service to hear Jim talk about how our spiritual gifts are given to us to build up this local body of believers. And I'm not really doing a commercial for YouTube or Spotify, but this is the point. Uh, these online options for people to follow along, even though they travel, They've been really great. And much of what our team has developed in regards to a wonderful online presence has occurred over the past couple of years. Initially out of necessity and now out of a lot of intentionality because we've discovered something over the past couple of years that I wanted to talk with you about. Lots of people, maybe you, lots of people are checking out Fellowship Greenville and determining that this is where the Lord would have them plug in and belong before ever even regularly coming here in person. We've heard story after story of folks who have moved to Greenville and the upstate, and since they knew that they were headed this way, they started looking for a church home and did what a lot of us would do if we were moving. They went online and began to look around, do a little research, and they have discovered, um, as we've walked and talked with people, that a whole lot of people have been listening in and singing along for weeks and months with us before ever moving here. 
And maybe that's you today. And if so, we can't wait for you to get here whenever the Lord directs you. I say that to say uh, our church has been growing numerically. And we know that a part of that numerical growth is just people moving to the area. And in leadership, we really desire to steward that growth well. So whether you've initially joined us online because you were checking us out before moving here or if someone invited you or you just happened to walk in one Sunday, um, we're super thankful that the Lord has led you to Fellowship Greenville. And we thought in leadership that this summer would be a good summer to take some time and talk about church matters because we believe that the church matters to Jesus, thus the church should matter to us. And so we've been looking at some specific matters of the church especially as it plays out here at Fellowship Greenville. And because we are thankful that we're growing, we do wanna steward it well because it's not just about numerical growth for us. We wanna see that numerical growth go towards spiritual growth because you're not just a number here to us. So intentionally over the past few weeks, we've talked about corporate worship. I mentioned it a moment ago, church leadership, your spiritual formation, serving the church family, and your spiritual giftedness to build up the church body. And here's what we assume. We assume that you also wanna steward well your investment into this place that the Spirit has called you to. Because you could be in a lot of different places, but you're here, a part of this church family. So we desire in leadership to steward that as well. So that's the point behind the series. And by saying the word stewardship so much, you might be picking up on where we're headed this morning. Um, I like to talk a good bit about the stewardship of life, which is another way of saying managing well what the Lord has entrusted to us. And that includes everything that he has entrusted to us. And stewardship is an interesting thing to talk about in a culture that's fairly consumeristic. Now, I'm not necessarily referring to any of you specifically, although maybe it applies and you can work through that. But I think most of us would agree that the culture that we find ourselves living in is fairly consumeristic. I think there would be pretty much agreement on that if we were to do a poll. How consumeristic are we? Well, we've made eating hot dogs a spectator sport, so that's a thing. I think someone just won recently. Don't we do that around the fourth? That's what I thought. Happy birthday, America. Have some hot dogs. A lot of our lives are about volume and speed when it comes to consuming things. How much can we get? How fast can we get it? A little quick research tells us that about $300 billion a year is spent on advertising. Yo. Much of it trying to convince us that Jesus was wrong about the abundance of possessions and stuff. And so now we're buying products labeled green and organic and marketers, obviously, they're smart corporations. They pick up on that and so they market towards that. And so now we feel less guilty about buying a 50% larger flat screen TV when it's marked 50% more energy efficient. So God bless all of us for saving the planet. <laughs> He's talking about the new TV I just got. Anyway. Now hear me on this. Uh, uh, nobody needs to apologize for where they were born. The point of my message today isn't uh, how big your TV is. I don't care. Uh, I'm incredibly thankful to be an American. I love our country. It just happens to be a very wealthy country and it has been for a long while. And just because we love it here and uh, we're thankful to be here doesn't mean that we can't ask ourselves good and tough questions 
about how we as followers of Jesus are stewarding all that God has given to us and whether or not by looking at our lives are we following Jesus, are we following our stuff? Or even being indifferent in regards to what he has placed in our hands. I mean, think about this with me, if you would, a couple of questions. In God's kindness and grace, did he redeem you? Most of us in the room would go, yeah. Follow-up question, did a sovereign God know that this moment in time and place is where you would be? Yes. So, you're a follower of Jesus in a place that God knew before the foundation of the world your redeemed story would play out, and that happens to be in this moment in time, an incredibly wealthy place. So maybe, just maybe, in God's design and providence, he has blessed us in a certain way to, to be a blessing. Maybe he has placed things in our hands for a purpose, and maybe that's a kingdom purpose. And maybe, just maybe, that has huge implications for us being a church that actually matters. So here's some fun, incredibly practical questions for us to consider today. This will be fantastic. Here we go. <clears throat> Do I see other people's stuff and become critical or bored with my own? Do I buy compulsively without thinking first of my budget or of my need? Is what I think about as my circle of need, which if I'm honest is more of a circle of want, getting bigger? I, working through these, I got really excited when I realized this was coming a few days after Amazon Prime Day. I got real, <laughs> do y'all just wanna go ahead and turn to your neighbor right now and talk about what you bought that you didn't actually need? Go ahead, all right, say it. I'll go for the Malones. My wife got pretty passionate about a uh, cover for a uh, tissue box, you know? It's like a nice leather cover that goes over tissues. So we talked about it, but yeah, I mean, why not? Seven bucks, I mean, we're basically giving it away. I don't want to lose money on the deal, you know what I mean? <laughs> Free shipping. Not just to throw my wife under the bus. I don't know if I ran that illustration. Is it okay, babe, if I did that? Awesome, good, good, good. <laughs> I mean, I got some nylon bags to wash my tennis shoes in, so anyway. <laughs> we all got things, so that's not the point, really. Gosh, The laughter's good, because it's a little tense when you start talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, how about this? Do I complain a lot about how much I make or my financial situation? Do I feel self-conscious when I'm around people who have more than me? Do I give sacrificially and generously to the ministry of my church and other kingdom opportunities? Some of you are like, uh-huh, which leads to this question. Does it annoy me when the pastor talks or teaches <laughs> on money or talks about stewardship on any level? Now, I ask these simple and practical questions because I believe our honest answers of them reveal much about our heart and our mind and potentially what the Holy Spirit wants to keep transforming in us to look like Jesus as we do intend and desire to live out the gospel day in and day out. Here's the deal. If we aren't intentional about thinking about it and praying about it, then the consumerism of culture, and we're in it, we're swimming in it, the consumerism of culture can bleed into the consumerism of the church. And before long, people are attempting to turn Jesus into a consumable product instead of a savior to follow. Processing through the stewardship of life isn't a, oh yeah, I did that one time, I'm good. 
It's a regular come back to think about, Spirit of God, what are you saying to me in this moment about how I'm stewarding what it is in your kindness and grace that you've put in my hands? And the early church was working through and living out this stewardship life. And I believe it's because they took seriously what Jesus had said. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 25. We'll get there momentarily. As you turn to Matthew chapter 25, however, I wanna remind you that back in May, Charlie and I both spent some time talking about Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus said these words, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. We've said it just about every week. I think I've already said it this morning. The church matters because the church matters to Jesus. And as you fast forward to the book of Acts from Matthew 16, where Jesus said what he said, if you get into the book of Acts, the church is on the move. Lots of crazy cool things happening. And in chapter four of Acts, we read this from Peter, who was a key participant in the conversation in Matthew 16 when Jesus said what he said. In Acts four, Peter is in front of the religious leaders of the day, and I know you're in Matthew 25, so Acts four will be up on the screen. This is what it says. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And then it says this in verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of both Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. And they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. So Peter and John are known for their boldness with the gospel. They're known for being with Jesus. And these men who had obviously been walking with Jesus are part of leading and teaching in the early church. And this is what we find out in the same chapter. There's something that describes the early church that's pretty intriguing to me. This is what it says in that same chapter, Acts 4, verse 32. It's on the screens. It says this, all the believers were united in heart and mind. Well, that's a message in and of itself. Love that. And they felt that what they owned was not their own. Interesting. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's blessing or God's great grace was upon them all. Verse 34 says, there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring money to the apostles to give to those in need. And if you're reading this and you're going, uh-uh, it's like they knew and they go, ah, here's an example, verse 36. For instance, there was Joseph, the one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And he was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus and he sold a field he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. Interesting, right? The early church was growing and working through what does it look like to steward these resources that the Lord has put into our hand. They're being led by guys who it was obvious had been with Jesus, which means Jesus was saying some things when he was walking with them back in the gospels, that they were not only now boldly articulating the gospel, but also putting into practice with how they lived out the gospel while waiting for Jesus to come back. 
So I wonder what Jesus said when he walked with them that would have led them to lead and then see the early church living like it's living when we look at Acts 4. That's a great question. And that takes us back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25, where you are in your copies of the scriptures. This is what Jesus had to say. Verse 14 of Matthew 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid the master's money. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, had, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered me five talents. Here I've made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, you good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 24. He also had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him as 10 talents, it says in verse 28. For to everyone who has will be more given and he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So just a quick word. Uh, Jesus would often tell parables. That's what we just read. Stories that have a spiritual truth and Jesus is using lots of everyday things to illustrate the story and share the truth. Jesus would talk about things like soil and fishing nets and yeast and weeds and pearls and money. And these parables were often told for those that were willing to truly hear from Jesus while others They didn't get it at all. And if you read through the gospels, you'll even find that the disciples misunderstood some of Jesus's parables. And the parable I I just read is about being faithful while waiting for Jesus to come back by stewarding well what he has given to us. And I think this parable stands out in a world that is constantly telling us that it's all about us and what we can get, and the promise of what we get making us happy. And Jesus, he, he talked a ton about stewardship and money, possessions. So many of his parables, almost half, are about money. Between services, I had someone ask me the question, do you get a little nervous when you get in front of the church and you talk about like stewarding finances and that sort of thing? I was like, well, I mean, 
Let's talk about what Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about it a lot. I guess we're fine. It's what Jesus said. It's not what I'm just, take it up, take it up there. You know what I mean? He had some strong thoughts and opinions when it comes to stewardship and money and possessions. But it was more than simply, and here's what I would like for us to think about a little bit this morning. It's more than simply an optional way of thinking about things. Jesus had a totally different mindset. That's what the early church had caught on to by listening to the guys who walked with Jesus. Because Jesus had a kingdom mindset. And you see that play out as the church grows, whether in Acts or Paul later on when he talks with the church at Philippi and the church at Corinth. His Christ followers were putting into practice what Jesus taught. And to Jesus, money and possessions, they weren't a symbol of your worth. Those things and many other things have been placed in our hands to steward towards kingdom opportunities as we continue to wait on his return. Let's walk back through it, section by section. This is what it says in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey, called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. One, to each according to his ability. So, let's think about it. Let's say you're the servant of a very wealthy person. (laughs) He owns a ton of land and one day the boss decides he's gonna take a year off and and travel the globe. He calls you into his gigantic house, his mansion, and you're there with two other guys or ladies that work for the boss man and he divides everything up for the three of you to take care of while he is gone. You each get a certain amount to oversee and manage and steward. To one of you he gives five shares, to another two shares, and to another one he gives one share. Now. As you know, if you're uh, consumeristic, what happens in a moment like this is you begin to compare what you got to what everybody else got. Because if you're consumeristic in your mindset, you're always measuring and protecting, stressing and worrying about the numbers. And so maybe, just maybe, maybe the one share guy, the one talent guy is a little ticked because he didn't get as much as the other two guys. Like he might be wondering, does the boss not like me as much? Did I do something wrong? Doesn't he know how good I am at what I do around here? Doesn't he know how faithful I am? Doesn't he know how hard I work? Don't I deserve as much as those guys? And I say all of that to say this, because I think it's kind of the first step of moving towards stewarding well what God has placed in our hands, and it's this. Possessions are not earned. They're given. Any of us that have been, are being, and will continue to be, because I do think it's a process, any of us that are being transformed towards stewardship knows that as long as you think that possessions and money and stuff, and if you think that it's earned, then you will always compare yourself to others and what you wish you had, what you think you should have. And here's the deal, you will always be, You'll always be disappointed. That'd be the story of a lot of you if I said, here's a mic, give a testimony about this. This is what you would say. But when you live knowing that even your possessions you work for are given to you, then you're free from being owned by them. You need not protect them or serve them or measure them or feel deprived when you don't have them. You actually find freedom to use them instead of consume them. And I know, listen, I've had the conversation with lots of people through the years. There is an automatic pushback to that thought. 
of possessions are not earned, they're given. And the pushback is this, Jason, I've worked really hard. I have earned what I have. Do you wanna hear my story about how I've earned what I've had? And I'm I'm sure it's a fantastic story. But I also know that someone gave you the ability to work. I know someone has given us the, the smarts, the talent to have the job that you have that makes what you make. It's all given. He's incredibly kind and gracious. This isn't an anti, uh, this isn't an anti-earning statement when I say that it actually is a gift of his because he gives you the ability to do the things that you do. And it's all throughout the scripture. Psalm 24, one says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. It's all his. Or Psalm 89, 11, the heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, the world and all that is in it, you have founded them. It's all his. Haggai 2, 8, the classic Haggai passage. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. It's all his. First Corinthians 6, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's all his. Yet we wait for his return in a culture that's telling us 24-7 that it's all ours. Back to the parable. Then, uh, let's pick up verse 16. Uh, the master went away, and it says this in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made uh, five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent, he went and dug in the ground and he hid his master's money. So here's what's amazing to me as I look and think about this. Even though he owns it all, and he does, even though he owns it all, he desires to entrust it to us. Can you believe that? Like this actually is an incredibly humbling thought if you're looking at everything that you have through the lens of he's placed it there. It's incredibly humbling. He owns it, he's entrusting it to us. Why? Because it's central to kingdom work. God knows that as we steward his stuff, it has the potential to put the gospel on display and draw other people to him. So he gave one guy five talents and one guy gets two talents and one guy gets the one talent. Your Bibles might say silver, but the Greek word there is talaton and it said that one talaton was worth over 6,000 denarii and denarii was the currency they used back in the day and one denarii was worth one day's wage and so talent-wise you'd have like 16 years worth of wages. And it's funny if you go read through all the uh, different commentaries on this passage, they're all trying to do the calculations of what this is in U.S. currency. I don't know if they factored in inflation. You know, times are tough right now. Anyway, basically, it's a whole lot of money, and I'll just go with this one. Oh, the five-talent guy, about a million bucks. Two-talent guy, I'm getting about 400,000. One-talent guy is getting 200,000. Now, here's the point. The point isn't all of that. The point that Jesus is getting across is that what he has entrusted to us is of incredible high worth and value. That's the point. 
So the one talent guy buries what was given to him and the other guys double what was given to them. You know the story, they steward it pretty well. One talent guy, eh, not so much. But here comes the boss, he does come back. He wants an account for what he did with what he gave you. And these are really direct words from Jesus. I am coming back, you will give an account. Not I might come back, not you might give an answer. He will, you will, I will, all right? And this is what it says in verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled up on the accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So the five talent guy, he can't wait for the master to get back and ask him how he did because he stewarded well. Hey, Master, see what I did here? I doubled your investment. Now again, one talent guy, he might be standing there and thinking, are you kidding me? How in, the, how in the world did he do that? He might be thinking what we sometimes think, and I don't know, maybe it applies to you, I'll throw it out there. Some of us think it must be easier to steward well when you have more to work with. Because that is what some of us think, right? We see people with much and they're generous observationally. And we think, well, if I had that much, I would be so generous too. That's actually been in some of your prayers this week when you've been looking at the Powerball going up. You've been saying this. This has been your exact words. I'm not listening in. I don't have your prayer time bugged, but I know. But then you look at verse 22. And he also who had two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. And his master said the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So if one talent guy is tempted to think or use as an excuse for poor stewardship, some people have it easier than him. And that's why they're so generous and frugal and wise with their possessions. Well, then so much for that theory because two talent guy did what five talent guy did with less than five talent guy. Obviously, he stewarded his stuff really well too. And the boss says, well done, you've been faithful over a few things, I'm gonna put you in charge of many things. And here's what we learn from this parable. Stewardship is not about what you have. It's about how you use what you have. Leave that up for a second longer, because I don't want us to rush past it. Because <laughs> it's easy to look at that and go, that's right. I agree. But the proof in that statement and whether or not you go, yeah, is actually as you examine your life, am I being a good steward of what the Lord has entrusted to me? I think stewards are always asking, how can I leverage what I have into something more for God and the kingdom? Consumers do have more of a mindset, I've, I gotta protect this, I can't lose this. My worth is found in this. On to verse 24, he also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. Then I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. And so instead of potentially saying that you had nothing to work with, which is maybe what you were thinking about till you listened to the other guys, 
Instead, what you're gonna go with is, uh, I'm just gonna blame the boss himself, which is pretty, it's a pretty bold move, right? You're a hard man, and uh, I'm scared of you, so I just went ahead and hit it in the ground. You know, kind of chuckle about it a little bit, but you actually do see another point of stewardship here, I believe, between the first two servants and the one talent guy. When you are truly being a steward, you have a totally different view of the master. When you're truly living with your hands open and what he has entrusted you with towards kingdom things, it does point to actually how you view the one who has put the things in your hands to begin with. The first two guys see the master as, I believe, incredibly generous. Can you believe that he would entrust us with this? Whereas the last servant, the consumeristic thinking, the boss is stingy, the boss is hard. It kind of gets at some of the questions I asked at the very beginning, like how do you go through life? How do you view what you've been entrusted with? If you think he's holding out on you, if you're constantly comparing yourself to everybody else, yeah, it will practically play out in how you handle what it is that he has so kind and graciously put in your hands. But did you notice what the boss said to the other guys when they told him about how they had been stewarding his stuff? He says something really great. He says, uh, enter into the joy of your master. Or said this way, come and share in my happiness. Because someone who is stewarding well what God in his kindness and grace has put into their hands, well, that steward's biggest desire is not the master's possessions. It's his happiness. Or said this way, how you see the master has everything to do with how you steward all that he's given you. Or said this way, only when we allow the gospel, what the master has done for us, only when you let the gospel motivate you Will you truly grow in living with your hands open? Growing in wisdom with resources. Stewarding well what has been in his kindness and grace given to you, given to me. If it is all his, and if he has entrusted it to us, and if we will give an account for how we managed what he's entrusted to us, and we will. Not maybe, not hopefully, not just some of us. See, for the first of the servants, even though they were given different amounts, the master said the exact, he said the exact same thing to him upon his return. Well done, good and faithful servant. You managed my stuff well. You were a wise steward. And the guy who did nothing, the guy who did not manage and steward, he was thrown out. Strong words from Jesus. But it was proof that he actually never knew the living God. This is the point that Jesus is getting at in the parable. It's not that he lost his relationship with God, it's proof that he, that he never had one. But when what God has done for us in and through Jesus not only redeems us, but also motivates us towards life change and towards sanctification, then it is our joy to steward all the things that he has entrusted 
to us. Yeah, 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 listen, and I don't know where your brain goes this morning. Maybe it's simply been on finances, and for sure, this applies to finances, but it actually applies to, ev- it applies to everything. So as I conclude, I'll just throw out a couple of others, right? It applies to how we are stewarding the family that God has given us. If you have a family, how are you stewarding that? Our homes, in our neighborhoods, our jobs, what Jim talked about last week with the, I mean, that's really at the heart of what we're talking about with the gifts that you've been given to build up the church. I have entrusted to you spiritual giftedness for the building up of the church, for the church to be the church, a church that matters. So it's not like one of these, eh, maybe. No, it's all the things. It's how we take care of ourselves physically. It's our bodies. It's from Corinthians, right? It applies, it applies to everything. In the gospel, what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ becomes the motivation for all of that. It's a, it's a gospel thing. I was talking with some folks back in the day about this, and I was actually talking about like taking care of ourselves physically in regards to this. And unbeknownst to me, this couple that I was talking to, uh, they went and they joined a gym. And uh, after they came back, I hadn't seen them in a little while. And uh, probably a month later, I was like, oh, you guys are, you guys are looking good. They were like, yeah, yeah, join the gym, losing weight. And uh, the husband said, I'm down 30 pounds. And the wife said, I'm down 15 pounds. So, wow, that's amazing. Thanks for sharing. It's a little more information than I want. It's great. Not really. I said, so tell me about it. Like, what's, what, what are we doing? Well, talking about stewardship of life and how the gospel motivates everything. Went to the gym. You know, when you go to the gym, so a personal trainer, Personal trainer wants to know your why. Like, why are you doing this? And so we just looked at the trainer and said, gospel. Huh, the trainer says, tell me more. Well, this is the body that God's given to us. Got to steward it well. Got to steward everything well, including how we go about taking care of ourselves, right? And the trainer actually started coming to the church. Oh yeah, I'm gonna come check this church out because that's not been people's why when they've walked in here before. I wanna hear more about this. Yeah, it's all his to be stewarded every piece of it. And I believe that as we do, then we, the church, much like the early church, like we're known for generous stewardship. And a church that is known for generously stewarding all they have because they know God has placed it in their hands. Now that's a, that's a church that matters. Because the church is a people. I've said it a couple of times this morning. And so if we were to be known as a church that's a church that stewards well, it'll be because we're made up of a people who steward well. Not a couple. Not the staff team and elders. Not That's what you guys should do. Us, as the church, being the church, we steward well. Which leads me to just a question. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm gonna ask it. Close with a song this morning, but... This is my question for you, for me. (laughs) Am I intentionally giving thought as I listen to the spirit of God through the word of God? Am I intentionally giving thought to how I am stewarding all the things, 
the Lord has entrusted to me to manage for kingdom purposes? Am I intentionally giving thought as I listen to the Spirit of God on stewarding all the things the Lord has entrusted to me to manage for kingdom purposes? Not just your finances, but yes, your finances. But family and relationships, jobs and homes, spiritual giftedness, the fact that he's called us to this place in this moment in time to be a part of this church family. We're stewarding that well. Yeah, and even how we take care of ourselves physically, for sure. Father God, one of the things that I love so much about the spirit in moments like this is with so many people gathered together and with such a broad topic like the stewardship of life. It's actually pretty cool to think about how your spirit is saying different things to different people about what it is that you are calling them to to steward well, maybe to continue to steward well, maybe to reevaluate season of life and what it looks like to steward well. And while that may be so different for lots of us in the room today or tuned in online who are moving here soon, my prayer would be that the one common thought, theme, reality that runs through how your spirit is speaking is that what you have done for us in Jesus Christ is the motivation for living with our hands open. Oh God, how can we look at what it is you have done for us in Jesus and then hold tightly, selfishly, consumeristically to the things that you've put in our hands for kingdom purposes. Continue to grow us individually. We know that has ramifications for growing us corporately to be a church, stewarding well for kingdom purposes, a church that matters. Amen.